If you're interested in being a creator, video, written word, podcasting, my friend David Perel is a fantastic human to talk about that. And then my second guest, Nick Sharma, if you're interested in direct-to-consumer products, he's going to be talking about that today. Welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of That Creative Life. Today, I have my friends, David and Nick. They're my friends, but fellow interneters. We met fellow- through the internet. Through other internet friends is how yes. we met. Yeah, well, how did... Well, we met because there was our mutual friend in LA who I got coffee with. Yes. And then Which your... Which was who? Greg Barreth. Shout out to Greg. Oh, yeah, yeah, Remember? yeah. No, he, he DM'd, he DM'd me and was like, I have water we were to at send coffee. you. Greg and I were getting coffee in San wow. Francisco and your notification popped up and said, Sarah Dietschy has a new video. And Greg's nice. like, oh, you watch Sarah. And I was like, yeah, I've been trying to get in touch with her. She has all this LaCroix branding. <laughs> and I'm trying to send her some hint water. Yeah. And so Greg's like, oh, I think she follows me on Twitter. I'll DM yeah. her. And then he got your address, texted it to me. Yeah. And we sent you a bunch of hint. Then there was a bunch of, there was like a minute and a half in your next video. Yeah. And because, then I was like, she's because the it, homie. It was so funny. I love LaCroix so much. And they're the type of people that just don't. I guess reciprocate, but at the yeah. same time, who cares? They can do what they want, right? right? It doesn't matter if someone with a few followers is like, I love LaCroix. That's right. not their responsibility. But when another company with similar water, but also the having the still water, because I don't want bubbly water all the time. Right. So I liked the still of the hint. Right. So when Hint sent me all this water, it was like, what is this? It was this it's good marketing. It was oh, this yeah. new thing. Like, oh my gosh, guys, a company sent me all this stuff for free. So of course I put it in a video. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Nick is legitimately one of the best in the world when it comes to direct to consumer. Yes. And I really, really, really mean that. That's so cool. And now David says hype that up it's him. True. I mean, David's literally the smartest guy. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I introduce David. I introduce David to people and say, this is the smartest guy I know. And I, I actually, funny story with Liz, mm-hmm. Liz Eswin. Uh, New York City on Instagram. On Instagram. Yes, she has like, that what, Instagram. Probably, when did we have Andy's rooftop thing with Liz and Sam? Yeah, probably about a year ago. I think that's when it happened, right? Uh, Liz asked me like, oh, how do you know David Perel? And I was like, oh, David's literally the smartest guy I know. You can ask him any question. Like I asked him the other day, <laughs> I was sitting in traffic. I'm like, Damn it, David. Why is there so much traffic? It's taking me 70 minutes to get to from the airport to well, VaynerMedia's man. office. This dude sends me a history lesson of why there's traffic and not a train. Wow. Nick, but anyways. Nick, your check is in the mail for a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> so then, you can work for me whenever you want. So then Liz says, how do you know David? And I go, oh, David's the smartest guy I know. He's yeah. literally my brother, but white. And then Liz asks David separately without us talking and goes, how do you know Nick? And, and David says, oh, Nick's like my brother, but he's brown. Yep. <laughs> it's true. My, my brown brother. Brown I love brother. that so much. But that's why, you know, your podcasts and your blogs are so great. And something that I always enjoy are these just tweet storms that both of you guys get into. So that's yeah. why I'm so excited to sit down on a couch and chat because I feel like I could just tweet you guys all day. 
like, oh yes, I resonate with that, but what about this? So first thing I want to talk about is David, something that you've written about naked brands. Mm. Explain to me what, what is the naked brand? Yeah, totally. So last summer, um, actually it was summer 2016. I was getting brunch with a friend in Soho and we looked across the street and there were tents in Soho. There were all these people outside. There were police barricades. And I was like, what's going on there? So I was with my friend Connor and I said, Connor, let's go across the street. So me, I'm always doing market research. I think of the world as like a museum for advertising. So like when I step outside, I just start learning about advertising, hmm. consumerism. In New York City, what right. a better city to be There's in. There's no better place. And so I go up to these kids and I'm like, this was before all the stuff happened. And I'm like, what's going on here? And they're like, it's a Logan Paul pop-up shop. This is the greatest day ever. And I'm like, ooh, this is really interesting. So I'm talking to six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 12-year-olds, whatever. And then I go to some of the parents and I'm like, what's going on here? They're like, it's this dang Logan Paul pop-up shop, this stupid YouTuber. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. This is really interesting. You have some kids who are super excited, obviously really influenced by all this. And you have parents who just don't get this. So we start walking and this block extends for 13 New York City, or this line extends for 13 New York City blocks. So I have this moment where I say, something is going on here where the power of what's happening on the internet right now is an order of magnitude greater than what people realize. And I always say that digital trends, because you only see metrics, are like these invisible trends. So as a society, we're underestimating the power of these trends. So long story short, I ended up writing a post called Naked Brands, which is basically this idea that as Nick likes to say so succinctly, people are becoming companies and companies are becoming more like people. So what does that look like? What's happened is that products have become commoditized. If we want to start a product, we can say, go to China and make our own product. Marketing has also become really easy. It used to be that you would need a huge ad budget to go on TV and pay for an advertisement. Now you can go on Facebook with $5 and run an ad. So you've had all these things that have gone from being scarce to being abundant. Now what happens when that occurs is the scarcity always shifts. And so what I've said is like businesses need moats, right? Like that's how you make money at points of friction and personality. Yeah. So moat is basically a business where it's really hard for other people to get into. So if you have a lemonade stand, somebody else can copy that lemonade stand, but say that you own the only diamond business in some place in, in, in Africa, you're the only one, no one else can compete with you. And good businesses are built off moats. And so what I discovered was that personality was gonna be this sort of like last defining moat. And people are using their personality personalities to launch brands, distribute them at scale, and go beyond middlemen and basically connect directly with their audiences. And it's a really powerful, but also really beautiful trend that's happening. And that's exactly why people um or not people logan said in his interview with i think it was 60 minutes right after he started youtube and he just came off of vine uh the interviewer was basically like you got paid three hundred thousand dollars for a dunkin donuts campaign yeah. on vine that is crazy yeah. and logan's response to it was i should have gotten paid more right. people do not understand the quantity of viewers listeners who are so about that person that they will literally do anything and everything that they vouch for mm -hmm. and i remember that really shaking people up yeah. and that was four years ago and now i mean 
he's had his um, a fair amount of drama recently that has really brought things to kind of unhalt. Um, but when he started his vlogs, I mean, it was his merch operation. And, you know, he's saying, I'm going to be the first billionaire social media person, him and his brother crazy yeah. right and then if you talk to young people what do they want to be when they grow up they want to be youtubers mm -hmm. and humans learn through imitation mm -hmm. so you basically have this entire generation that's growing up on youtube right. and learning from these youtubers thinking about who they want to be when they grow mm -hmm. up and nick so you've kind of done the reverse right, right. so it's not about people and then selling something from that whether it's merch or connecting with brands but you've had experience with taking brands and putting familiar faces to them and really making it more of a personal connection right because sometimes right. brands and companies can seem kind of scary they can seem uh like oh how, how do i relate to a big brand so tell me a little bit about that and how do you how do you do that you know maybe someone out there is literally a ceo of maybe a classic company they don't know how to get traction with this new wave of you know youngsters who are turning to youtubers and personality yeah. for what stuff. do you say what, I mean, what's up with that Nick? so it's like you know traditionally like david said you needed to have all the ad budgets now anybody can run the ad but it's all about like differentiation how do you differentiate your brand from another brand for me it was i mean our relationship sparked from hint mm -hmm. And it was how do we differentiate Hint from a Lacroix or a yeah. um, Hint is water, by the way. Hint can is be sparkly, water. can be still flavor water, no sugar. Yeah, and so for me, it was how do we personify the brand? Mm. And um, you know, I think one thing that really resonated that I saw after we did the video with you was. We had we gave you literally no direction. It was just Sarah. We want you to make a video because you really enjoyed the product at first, and the way you conveyed that was really authentic. And so we said, I think Jonathan and I basically said, make a video, and we signed the deal. And then I remember one night being in my bed, and I think you had sent the video at probably like two thirty in the morning your time. And then Jonathan texted me and said, look at the video. And I looked at it, and it was like the video that we ran a bunch. And then it was a few Snapchat stories of you and John on the beach mm -hmm. drinking him. And I was like, I think this is a perfect video. And it was because I felt like you were talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I think YouTubers especially who, who've at least, and this is kind of the foundation cycle was built on, yeah. was if... Shout if, out to Liz shout at out New York to City. Liz, um, if you can, if you're so good, you're going to build a following. Mm -hmm. And if you're so good that you build a following, why not white label that and repurpose it for actual content? Hmm. And so that's what we started doing with influencers at Hint was we essentially white labeled influencers and then blew them up at scale. So explain white label because people might, sure. might not understand that. So traditionally brands today, most brands, when they work with influencers, will say, hey, John, we want you to talk about our brand in your video for 30 seconds. Here's five grand or 10 grand or whatever John's rate is. And we also want an Instagram post. And what happens is the brand is now being promoted to John's audiences on YouTube and Instagram and wherever else they're paying for. What we did was we were able to use data to identify personas. 
I was laughing when David looks at me like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, Nick, I love when you talk dork. We were dork. able to <laughs> identify audiences and personas that we had a very high probability of converting into customers. Mm -hmm. And we were able to take your relatable video where, you know, a person really feels like they're connecting to you because you're so good at vlogging um, and put that video in front of those people on platforms where it's very native. So we primarily ran it on Facebook video because on Facebook, as you're scrolling, you're really engaging with friends. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in 2017, 2018, 2019, people can really see ads a mile away and yeah. they'll just scroll right over it. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a couple things. I just want to distill everything you just said into a couple just key points yeah. that Nick and I hit on all the time. The first one is that advertising and entertainment are basically the same thing now. Mm -hmm. Think about it, when you're watching television, you can't skip a commercial. Now, it, you totally can. Yeah. You can just keep scrolling, right? So advertising has to be entertaining. And because of that, the best advertising doesn't look like advertising. Mm -hmm. It has to mirror the other content. Right. So advertising on Snapchat should look different yeah. from advertising so on Facebook. So that's why if you're running an ad on Snapchat and it has a bunch of graphical elements right. and it's shot on a red work, camera, ever. it's not going to work because right. people need to hit that next and be like, oh, this looks like it was filmed on a phone. Totally. Interesting. Right. Who is this? What's this about? Oh, exactly. this is an and ad. Then, and then one other thing is a belief that Nick and I have about the world that most people think is wrong, but we really believe this passionately, is you hear all the time that influencer marketing is dead. Oh, yeah. Influencer marketing oh. hasn't even started yet. Yeah. I, I love when people Nick tell and me that. I have a perspective on this like we're building a lot of our careers on that belief mm -hmm. and it's just crazy when people say that because influencer marketing there's really not a lot of infrastructure right now and yeah. it we're gonna look back on right now almost like when it's people, like a land grab right it, right it's, it's a yeah. land grab and it's still like inning two right now yeah 100 yeah. I mean I think people say influence yeah influencer marketing is dead because they want it to be because dead. they want they, it to be they, dead they because don't have well their they just share don't understand it. it right yeah like, like people traditionally think influencer marketing is oh I'm gonna go pay Sarah $500 for an Instagram post or oh I'm gonna go pay Cosette $300 an Instagram post and that's it that's the end mm -hmm. of influencer marketing but what they forget is all the side of data mm -hmm. and you know putting paid media behind yeah. that and actually leveraging like at hint we really leveraged your brand mm -hmm. right I mean we took your page your ad your video and pushed it out to millions of people I think your video has like almost four million views now <laughs> and so many people responded in such a positive way yeah it was probably one of the most successful videos we ever ran at hint mm -hmm. yeah and, and people don't realize too that there's so much more to being a creator to being an influencer a lot of people don't even know that I was making videos for Hint because right. it was mainly for Facebook, Snapchat. Right. And it was a different type of brand integration where it's right. not someone saying, hey, here's money. Mention me in a video. I mean, right. I pride myself in integrating brands in a way that makes sense and it's not jarring. Mm -hmm. But this was a new way for me to explore a different medium as a, you know, I hate the word influencer, but influencer because I was making a piece of content that it wasn't being posted on my personal channels per se, right. but it was using one of my smaller channels, which is Facebook and being pushed to millions of people through paid advertising. Right. So what a lot of people don't think is that paid advertising piece, which is so huge. And we're, we're seeing 
agencies, we're seeing companies start to get it. And that's why it is so dumb when people say influencer marketing is dead because, oh my goodness, the companies are just now getting it. And the people who are getting it are winning. And a kind of like peek behind the curtain for my YouTube viewers who are listening. Um, recently this past year, I did a, um, a year-long brand campaign with Intel. And it was really appealing to me because they are in every computer. Intel processors, memory, their parts are in MacBooks, they're in Dell computers, they're in Razer computers, they're in all these computers that I really wanted to review and explore this year. So it made so much sense. Yes, let's sign up for a year. Let's have deliverables, you know, videos on YouTube, Instagram, and it's going to help me also test out all these laptops that I want to do. But they took it a step further. They weren't saying, hey, agency, we want you to just get a bunch of influencers and slap the Intel label on it. But it, it's very interesting if you go back and see those videos on my channel now, they also did paid advertising. So they basically put normal YouTube videos in front of people as pre-rolls on YouTube. Yeah. And it's, you know, their laptop reviews. It's a fun video of me saying, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do a hyperlapse. And, you know, this laptop is going to be at the center of it. But it's, it was also informational. And they were saying that they were getting a really good response because they were putting a YouTube video in front of a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. So people actually, instead of just skip, 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 were like, oh. What is yeah, this? This is a, native to the platform. It's that native in, to the right? platform. Right. Exactly. And so it, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, wow, you got like a million views, two million views on that laptop review. Right. What was so special about that? Well, I'm like, well, it initially got 80, 90,000 views, but then they put paid advertising behind it and it went like crazy. Right. And what people don't realize as well. Sorry, I'm talking no y'all's ear off. You should be talking. Um, but what people don't realize as well with YouTube advertising is you pay when the viewer has viewed it more than like five seconds. Mm -hmm. So you pay, 10. yeah, 10 seconds. Yeah. So you don't pay for the people who are just skip. I didn't right. see it. It's, I'm sure there's a fancy word for it, but you're, you're paying for that impression. Right. right. And Cost there's a completed view. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's, there's so much more to this and that's totally. why, that's why I'm like, guys, I remember, I think one of the first brands that I saw to do that was Tide. Where they took a bunch of the prankster YouTubers like Andrew Hales. Is that when the eating Tide Pods started? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question, actually. It, I think it was yeah. kind of around there. But they took all these prankster YouTubers and basically, you know, they got themselves dirty with a white T-shirt. Then they threw it in the wash. I remember that. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. But it was super native because it was a funny video and it was people you recognize. And they recognize. used YouTubers. Right. Yeah. Which is the part that just made it even Genius. better. And that's what Wix has done. Right. Wix got Rhett and Link uh, and iJustine and, mm -hmm. and put these, and it's two different ways. Squarespace grabs land by doing sponsor videos, sponsor podcasts with everyone. Yeah. And Wix goes the paid media route where they right. sit down, they film a fancy video. It's not on iJustine's channel, but they will put it as a pre-roll on their YouTube channel. And so sometimes that's good for YouTubers as well because if they already have a lot of sponsor sponsorships on their channel, this is a way for their videos to not even touch their main channel, right. but they're being seen as an ad. Oh, well, that's exciting. That's cool. So there's so much opportunity, totally. you know? And, and so, so what and else that's without there, even getting you know? into like taking audience data of yeah. different influencers, segmenting that out, and then, you know, either building products for that or finding mm -hmm. brands specific to, you know, certain demographics yeah. of your audience. You might have 
a few hundred thousand people on YouTube, but you might find out that, you know, a quarter of them might resonate better with one brand over another. Hmm. And eventually you can get to a point where you're now segmenting audiences and doing ads or doing videos specifically for that. Yeah. Two things I want to say, and these are just some lessons I've learned about media technology and advertising. The first one is that whenever you have a new medium, this is true throughout history. Whenever you have a new medium that emerges on that new medium, what we do is we borrow the content of the old medium. So I'll give you a couple examples. A lot of the first television shows were just two people talking like a radio show, but it took us a while, many years to realize what is a television show? What does this new medium actually allow us to do that's different? Also, think about, go back to the 1990s. What were the advertisements that did really well? Even early 2000s, they were banner ads. What are banner ads? Banner ads are newspaper side ads that go on television, and only now are we beginning to discover and unlock what an internet advertisement actually looks like. Now, the question is, and this is something I think about all the time, how can I be at the frontier of these technological shifts and actually understand what's going on? So what would most people say? Like, if you want to learn about advertising, what should you do? Most people would say, okay, I'm going to go get an MBA. I could go read something. I'm going to go consume something. Now, that's actually the wrong answer. If you want to be at the frontier, Chris Dixon, who's an investor at Andreessen Horwitz, when he looked at technology, what he does is he looks at what are all the nerds doing? What are the hobbyists doing? Because what they do on the weekends is what everybody else will be doing in 10 years. Same thing. If you want to learn any new cutting edge technology, what you do is you follow the people just like Nick. You follow the, tr- the, the practitioners who are in the trenches. Their hands are dirty. They're, they're, they're busy exploring all these things. And part of what so much of me and Nick's friendship is, is me talking to Nick getting these insights out of him and then the two of us coming together and sharing nick who's on the frontier his ideas with the world i told you david's the smartest person i've ever met (laughs) (laughs) well and and something i want to get to in and that you know you are very smart but you also know how to communicate and break down ideas yeah i always say my best ideas or conversations come out through when david and i are just chatting that's amazing like we we um in san francisco last time david was in san francisco we went to a diner at three in the morning we went to mel's <laughs> diner this is at literally the three best in the morning. stories Wait, come out we had just start had, like this we had just had a super burrito this massive yeah. burrito i look at nick and i go i'm in the mood for a double cheeseburger yeah. so we walk across we the go street to a we diner. go to a diner we get wow. milkshakes and a cheeseburger I love and it. so we <laughs> david has this app called otter which basically records everything you say and turns it and transcribes it into English and huh. separates it out by who's talking. So you can see when David's talking, you can see when I'm talking. Yeah. And so we so record all of our we, conversations. We really record everything we say. And we, we say, transcribe them just casually. Wow. Just as a normal practice. And so, um, so we did that. And then the next day, I'm just reading through some of it and I'm like, oh my God, this is some really, really good stuff. <laughs> and then I realized my best stuff comes out when I'm just talking to David. That's funny. And then, you know, that turned into a tweet storm, which did really well. Mm-hmm. David came over. We turned it into an article that blew up. Really? I mean, what article was it? Just thousands and thousands of impressions and readers. Um, the so many people have reached out. Parade. Yeah, it yeah. was called the Customer Acquisition Pricing Parade. It's on David's website. And uh, plug the website. Perel.com. P-E-R-E-L-L.com. There you go. And no, but really that article was explosive. Mm. I mean, just insane. What was the article about? 
(laughs) (laughs) The secret sauce. You have the article was about how basically what's happening is if you look at what's happening in Silicon Valley in the venture ecosystem is money is going to two places in terms of venture capital dollars that are being raised. One is relevant for this conversation. One is irrelevant, but it's actually super interesting. So I'll start with the one that's totally irrelevant to what we're talking about, but it's actually fascinating. If you think about it, who are the people who have really benefited from a lot of the growth in Silicon Valley? It's not people who work in tech. It is San Francisco landlords because there's so Mm -hmm. much venture capital that is being funneled into this ecosystem that there's driving up Mm -hmm. housing values and San Francisco landlords are doing so well. Now, that's not what we talked about in this article. What's also happening is 40 cents, 40 cents of every dollar raised in venture capital money is being shuffled to Facebook and Google and being spent on advertising. So Nick and I look at each other. We're like, that's ridiculous. That's unsustainable. These companies are spending so much money on advertising and they're having to raise more and more. And it's. And are they keeping these people? We don't know. And it's like this hyper competitive market and all the money, really all the surplus is going to Facebook and Google, not to these companies. Mm -hmm. So Nick and I call this the customer acquisition pricing parade where Mm -hmm. do you want to explain the parade idea? Yeah. I mean, the. The Warren Buffett idea. So so Warren Buffett basically put this in his words and said, if you're in a sea of people, right, and you're all trying to look at the front, if the person in front of you stands on his tippy toes to get two inches higher to see what's above, then you're going to get a, you're going to get your, you know, you're going to stand on your tippy toes Mm -hmm. and then the person behind you. And now everybody's screwed again. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're in a worse off position. Working harder and nobody can see any better. Right. And you just... And so I mean, that's relevant because all these people are standing on their tippy toes, so to speak. Everyone is funding more and more and more and more and more money into paid media. And what Nick and I are doing is we're looking at each other saying, wait, you can actually use media well, get a lot of organic impressions for free and not have to deal with these things. Then we also came up with another idea that you want to talk about industries to audiences. Yeah. So the idea was, you know, if you take like if you take what the brands I love, for example, SoulCycle, Away, Glossier, um, Hint, right? All these people are going after the same exact customer, mm-hmm. right? Like SoulCycle, if you have a, an away bag, it's a good chance you go to SoulCycle, you might buy Glossier, drink Hint, you know, go to Pete's Coffee, whatever. There's this thought that David and I have that holding the future of holding companies and companies that incubate these brands are going to formulate companies and brands around the same audience rather than deciding, okay, we're going to be a VC firm or a holding company for food and Bev, right? Because today that's what it is, right? Johnson & Johnson, SC Johnson, et cetera. They're all focused on verticals rather than let's find our audience and build around them so that we can spend once to acquire the customer and get the customer data and then upsell and cross-sell them to all the other brands that we have. And now whenever you hear somebody make a claim that something has changed in the world, you have to say, okay, what shifted in the world to make this true? And so let's answer that. So if you think about how did you used to buy a water, what you would do is you'd go into say CVS, Walgreens, and you would every single time be like this new customer going in, looking at a brand and whatnot. And look, you had companies like Old Spice, Procter & Gamble, They had amazing brand retention, but now we've moved into this much more subscription economy where 
it once shows up you on your acquire, front door. Exactly. The first time that you acquire a customer, that is when marketing is really expensive. But actually reselling to existing customers is much cheaper in terms of customer mm-hmm. acquisition. And so because of that, mm-hmm. the subscription model is taking off. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a result, for customer acquisition costs to go down, you have this kind of like prototype consumer in terms of what do they like? How do they think? How do they dress? Who do they want to be? And what you do is you understand their needs. You understand who they are. And then you take those audiences and you give them products that they want. Now, something else shifted where it became a lot easier to make products at scale. So if you go back to 1950, yeah, exactly. Right. But like, if you go (laughs) back to basically 20th century in America, one of the biggest shifts was America basically invented the ability to manufacture at scale. That's what Ford did in the early 20th century. And then you have like this boost of like Toyota and basically all these supply chains, which happened in America and then eventually got shipped off abroad. And now we have Alibaba. So the barriers to entry for manufacturing went from very high to zero. And so as a result, products aren't a form of differentiation anymore. The differentiation is with audiences. And that's why we built this thesis. So Mm -hmm. things really structurally changed in the world that allowed Nick and I to identify this and then come up with this thesis. Oof. Amen. Boom. 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 So with that, I have a question Mm -hmm. or a thought that I feel like we should ideate around because I feel like all of our minds are kind of in the same place. Yeah. And where I find myself as a professional creator, a professional influencer, is I've reached this point where you can't scale one human, keep hitting this wall, mm, right? right? So I found this audience that resonates with me yeah. and it's awesome, it's yeah. great. I have so many ideas in my head, I never run out of ideas, I run out of time to execute them. And there's this thing where just like you're saying individuals are becoming their own media companies they can become their own tech companies but the problem is scaling humans and Uh scaling creatives and you know i had an interesting conversation um very briefly with neelai from the verge and he sounded so excited to really you know tap into more of the youtube community because them at the verge they're underneath vox media they know how to scale they know how to scale yeah shout out to vox they're awesome they know how to scale content because they have funding they have these bigger holding companies that have resources and so i'm thinking oh my gosh like this next frontier is so exciting but it's all about how do individual creators who are creatives first understand and know how to put structure around them and a good example of that is kylie jenner she isn't just famous yeah she's hella famous but she built a one billion dollar company off of the backs of maybe 10 to 15 employees so her kylie jenner she has so many verticals right she's not selling out of makeup just because she's posting it on her instagram but she has a few people you know i'm sure working remotely who are running instagram ads who are running twitter ads because her face is familiar oh wow you know that resonates with people so the thing that i want to ideate around and kind of explore is you're having these influencers and creators really come into their prime and it's awesome. And there's maybe like a one year window to go for it and scale before people lose attention, you know? So when people reach that, like what is the next step and how, you know, how, how do you see that 
coming to fruition for individuals because you know the I've been doing this for professionally almost three years but I've been making videos as a high school right yeah, yeah since forever and just now am I realizing okay you know what I do not need to be crouched over at my computer editing every single detail of this creative to feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. i feel like there is so much more to do i want to do more i want to think two years out in the future but i can't think like a chief operator because i'm stuck in today as a creative what sort of things do you want to achieve that right now you can't i so many things i mean i want to do more Mm -hmm. more videos and as you get as your hobby becomes your job you are bogged down by certain admin tasks that you could have never imagined i i spend people don't realize how much time i spend on just writing concepts for brands to approve before i even film the video there's stuff where you know with tech when you do tech videos yeah it might only take two to three videos to film that video but you don't see the six hours it takes to fiddle around with it and make it work you know and so there's there's so much to the process where the bigger your numbers, the more opportunities you get, the slower the process becomes because now it's your job, right? So there's there's so many things, you know, it's like maybe the educational side of things. Yeah. I would love to lean more into like individual mentorships and, and products and, and stuff like that. So go. Sarah, you said something really interesting and this gets back to what we were talking about, about influencers and companies. Now, if you built a direct consumer brand and you didn't make Sarah write those scripts and those proposals sarah would be much happier to work with you and if you could build into your organizational culture that you don't make influencers do that and you have such good relationships with people like sarah that they don't have to do that Mm -hmm. influencers would be knocking at your door and that's like a really good example of where companies are sort of taking their old way of thinking and i understand that they're risk adverse i get it but someone like Nick would come along and say, nope, you don't need to do that mm-hmm. and would attract really good influencers and pay them at a lower price because influencers don't want to do that as a result. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that's 100% true, which is why I think I have a good relationship with influencers because yeah. it's more like friendships that turn into business. Um, but it's interesting what you were saying because in my head I see it like almost as a double, uh, a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Like on one hand, it's you know, you have to hire people. Um, well, first of all, you're much more ahead because you know that you have to hire people. A lot of people don't get to the point where they realize they need to hire someone or they need an intern or they need a full-time editor or they need someone to talk to brands for them or they need someone to manage their email. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like you doing the work, um, And maybe I'm biased because at Hint, there wasn't the brand approvals and all that. It was just, we just gave it to you. But it was, it's just so much more authentic. Whereas I've worked with influencers who've had agents that stay super involved and, Mm -hmm. you know, they have writers or they have people who write their concepts and they just don't turn out the same. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a really interesting like double-edged sword there. Right. But from a macro standpoint, I completely agree. I think I think there's almost like a there's definitely a lack of education for what it takes or what it is to be a creator. 
right? Like people who are watching this video probably think that you film, you wake up whenever you want, you film a YouTube mm -hmm. video, you know, you edit it, you think of a clickbait title and then it goes up and that's it, right? And you just magically gain all these fans. Right. But they didn't see the 30 minutes of setup before this mm -hmm. or they're not going to see Christina editing this later mm -hmm. or, um, you know, there's, and, and they there's just... And they don't see the 10 years that it took to get to right, this point. And right. people, when I think people get so, not offended, but they get appalled when they hear what influencers are getting paid. Well, totally. go go see what people are still paying for TV ads and you'll be appalled oh, at that, you know? And people don't realize what's baked into that price is not just the content, but it's the distribution. You are paying for both things and that is something that is still very new, right? So now you have like three different pillars within that where you're paying for the content, that person is the production company and they're making it. You're paying for the distribution because they already have a built-in audience that it probably took them five years at least to build up mm -hmm. and then on top of that there's more education there's more things that they did before that and then that third pillar is now if they if the company or agency wants to take that extra step well then they can do paid advertising behind it right. and boost it even more right. so now there's you know so much opportunity fam is valuable and, yo. <laughs> and yeah right. and people and so you have to understand that that value right and i that's, mean the one thing that we talked about a lot in toronto um last we were week in toronto last we were week. in toronto last week <laughs> cool. we talked I think for five hours one night about brands today that want to be successful now yeah. needed to have started building community 24 months ago. Hmm. Yeah. And what you have done and what other influencers who are worth paying have done, they've put, you guys have put in that time of, in, you know, mm -hmm. building that community. Cause it didn't start as a product. Right. It started as a passion. You exactly. Know? And so it's like, how do you find that as a company? Yeah. I mean, I think even before we became friends, every time I would tweet you, there was always a response, yeah. always a like, always some engagement, mm -hmm. which I mean, that takes time. What yeah. do you think it is about influencers that people are particularly upset by? Because I just look at this and I'm like, there's a, this beautiful thing called markets and economies. Right. And if someone is willing to pay, this stuff right. has a magical way of taking care yeah. of each other. Well, it's the same. And I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this. It's the same thing with when maybe it's because they see themselves and you. And maybe if they're not getting it, that's upsetting for some reason. If they're an aspiring creator. I, I agree with that. Okay, guys, we have this like word doc. I haven't looked at it once, but maybe I, I should. I just looked at it and I, maybe I saw I should the look Sarah at section. It again. I saw my section was empty because I didn't put anything in it. <laughs> And then I scroll down and I see David and I'm like, of course, David pasted da an essay. Man, David put David went so to town. many good ideas. ideas. Yes. I, okay. So I like this. What's the role of friends if you're an entrepreneur? Oh, I love that one. When you're an entrepreneur or a creative, you need feedback from friends. Nobody is responsible for your growth and learning except you. Surrounding yourself with the right friends is the best way to improve your crazy and, and navigate our hazy future. Yeah, so I think about this a lot, and I think this is super, super important for any creative or any entrepreneur, and the problem is nobody's talking about this. Friends, when you are a normal person, are, 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 are fine and like lovely. When you're an entrepreneur or creative and you work alone, they are absolutely imperative and crucial to your success or failure mm -hmm. will rest on the quality of your friendships. Huh. Now, that's a really strong thing to say. So let yeah. me talk about why. 
what your friends do is if they're good friends, they're the people giving you feedback and critique and helping you improve. And we live in a world where when you're an entrepreneur, basically what you're doing is sort of taking risk on the future. And what you're saying is there's a market inefficiency in some way, shape or form. I sense an opportunity. I'm going to go build for a potential future that exists in my head that I believe will exist in the future. That's what investing is. That's what entrepreneurship is. Mm -hmm. Basically taking risk based off of a belief about the future. Now, the world is really beginning to change quickly. And the way that the economy looks in 10 years will look very different from the way it looks now. So what I think of when I think of what do my friends do is I try to build friendships that have a level of honesty that would really rub most people the wrong way. Mm. Also, most people think that you shouldn't have structure in your friend groups and that friends should just be this thing where you sort of see people when you want to see them. I say no way. I actually rented a house in upstate New York first weekend of January and I hosted an annual review retreat. Mm. Basically, it was a group of seven buddies and what we did was we all came together to write and reflect on 2018 and reorient for 2019 so what do we do everyone was put that seems something that like tim ferris would do yeah 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 i or mean David so you know, <laughs> so what we did was like everyone went on a hot seat for for 30 minutes and you presented your biggest problem for the first 10 minutes then for the next 10 minutes you were just pounded with questions and then for the last 10 minutes you got advice and you weren't allowed to respond but what ends up happening is people then come together to figure out how the individuals can be better which when you're not entrepreneur who you are as a person is very very much aligned with who you are as a business but then also we're like cartographers mapping out the future coming together to figure out where is this world going and trying to map conquer and tackle this new frontier that we're moving into mm. i agree friends right am i right guys friends. so right friends um something i'm gonna shift a corner turn a corner i can't talk <laughs> Turn a corner. That's the right way to say it. I recently had an epiphany on my whole theory on college. And this is something that is always in my head. If you don't know, listener, I am a college dropout. I went to school for electrical engineering, computer science for three and a half years. And it affected my life in so many ways that I have so many passionate beliefs about college. And I've always said pretty much the same thing that a lot of people say. And it's, if you don't need to be an engineer, a lawyer, or a doctor, there's literally no point in college, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, when you think about those things, or, or maybe even computer science, you know, those are really, you start thinking about hard and soft skills. And those are hard skills. You learn how to code. You learn how to cut open a body. You learn the law of law. You know, that's a lot of words you got to put in your brain. And outside of that, it's like, there's no point. You can just go and experience the world, right? However, I'm, I'm starting to think what I actually got out from college. And the most frustrating thing was the concrete facts and how they were not linking to anything in reality. We were learning computer science and I was learning how to put asterisks in a pyramid. And I was like, how am I going to build an app? We're not even using C++ or Swift. We are using like a language that has nothing to do with anything. And I understand you have to learn, you know, basics in order to get where you want to be. But 
my frustration was with that and the only only meaningful thing I got out of college was the discussions I had with other students it was um you know trying to understand a professor and their viewpoint and it was really putting myself in an environment that I wasn't used to it was with other people and it was like learning how to navigate this real world it was exposing me to different beliefs you know different people coming from different backgrounds and it was just learning and how to be like that person not the vanilla person I was in high school in my bubble but really learning how to talk to people form opinions seeing you know being empathetic to other situations exactly and college can actually be a really good place for that and so I'm going back to and I think this has something to do with you can talk about this David a lot um it goes back to the things that actually helped me with what I'm doing now and I will say as much as I hated writing papers, being able to express my thoughts in a concise way has impacted everything I've done in my life from writing emails to writing video treatments, um, debating someone about something has helped me today. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, is it only worthy to go to college if it's like a like a psychology degree or like an econ degree or a debate degree or something where you actually are going to practice these skills that traverse all mediums, you know? So that's recently what I've been thinking about. And I'm like, yeah, oh my gosh, well, this is, you know, it's interesting. And I, again, I don't think you should pay 40K a year for any degree, but yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of what you said in there and I just want to be really skeptical and just careful really of saying that there's no blanket prescriptions and I still think that most people should go to college but college is very 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 multifaceted okay there is there are some schools that cost $60,000 a year there are also some community colleges that are virtually free. Yeah. We both call them college and the price matters. The price that you pay for a university education really matters. But right now we have 44 million people in this country who are in student debt and collectively their student debt adds up to more than 1.5 trillion dollars and with a T. And you're entering your adult world with all of this baggage, right. which it's is also the bad. only form of debt you can never get rid of. Exactly. exactly. So with that said, I think that we should just be smart with talking about what kinds of college matter. And also one thing that's really great is there's a lot of new systems that are beginning to emerge, a lot of new companies that are beginning to tackle these problems. One of my closest friends is working with some liberal arts schools, building a network to basically connect courses or universities, liberal arts colleges, their curriculums with companies in the real world to make sure that those two things are aligned mm. and to boost job connection between students and these companies. Then there's Lambda School. I interviewed the founder of Lambda School. And what they do is they train people in computer science. You don't pay anything and you only end up paying back to Lambda School after you've been hired. So what we're beginning to see is a lot of new alternatives, a lot of new market-based initiatives mm. to a lot of these problems that I'm really excited about. But the most important thing I'm saying here is there's a lot of talk like don't go to college, do go to college. And it's really, really, really important for people to be discerning in terms of how much are they paying, mm -hmm. knowing that student debt is going to be something that is going to probably impact them for the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah. And or then, the like you said, life. being smart 
with what you actually study in college because I do think it's important to have a skill that you can communicate well to employers Mm -hmm. so that you can be sure that if you do invest money and we forget about four years of our lives to make sure that that once you leave you have a job but with that said this is a really dire situation and hundreds and hundreds of especially mid-size mid-tier liberal arts colleges are going to be really struggling and many are going to go out of business good because they're treating it like a business so they should go out of business which is the problem right i I mean nick you didn't go to college yeah i didn't go to college skipped it (laughs) i went i yeah i didn't go to college at all um my mom quickly realized that i just could not sit in a classroom and learn. Yeah. Hey, man. David, <laughs> David knows this too. You wouldn't have I, lasted a day. I would not have lasted a day. But again, like, you know, people ask me, well, you didn't go to college. Do you think people should go to college? And I say, I don't know because it's, it's all self awareness, right? It's like David went to college. He did really well. I went, I didn't go to college. I probably would not have done well either. I also just like, it was really scary for me, the the idea of going to college and sitting for two years and learning about Greek history or Rome, yeah. like whatever, or learn or just writing Stuff essays. Stuff that's not relevant. Yeah, because I, I knew what I wanted to do was in business and in marketing. And, and see, a lot brands. of people don't have that. A lot of people right. don't know what they want to do. Right. So and college is a great like place to discover can, that. Yeah. But I also, I also was really, really that proactive that about making sure I'm always learning. Right. Right. Like a lot of the things that I know today are because of they're just self-taught. What do you right. think you've done to always be learning? I mean, I've surrounded myself. My mom always says the five people you surround yourself with are the is the person you're going to become. Mm-hmm. So I always keep really really good company. Yeah. Um, Friends. Yeah, I don't you. necessarily <laughs> have like that Sunday brunch crew or like the yeah. let's go out on Friday night crew. I just have a lot of really smart friends mm-hmm. and a lot of friends that I think I can always learn from. I never think I'm smarter than any of my friends because if I do, then I'm hanging out with the wrong person. Friends are so crucial. Yeah. Yeah. Like David and I could hang out probably 24 seven and it's, (laughs) I mean, we do. You still (laughs) be learning, right? But, um, but yeah, just, I mean, it's, you have to be so proactive. I mean, really college gives you a, a degree, right? Like, like you said, if you're not an engineer, or engineer is even kind of on the fence, but mm-hmm. if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, your college degree is really there to get you your first job, mm-hmm. right? And once you get your first job... And your network of people. Exactly. So you better make sure it's worth it. <laughs> exactly. And if you're... And the network is really important. We should yeah. touch on that after this. Yeah. But if yeah. you... If you're like... How do I say this? If your first job... If you can't get a first job out of college, then... You had was, no reason for yeah. the last four years. Because you have to be proactive right? in what you're doing. Exactly. Because I, I would go to college, I would sit in the back, and I would edit videos. Right. I would literally be in the back of my computer science class and either be sleeping because I was editing all you know night long, or I was doing work on my computer. And so right. the moment I realized, oh, I am literally getting nothing out of this experience, that's when I was like, it's time to leave. And I think people thrive in different situations. So if you are the social butterfly who is really like thirsty for knowledge and people and that environment of college, then more power to you. Mm-hmm. Again, don't do it for 200K. Um, but 
there are options. And I think that's what, why I bring up college so much in my stuff, because I know there's like young people listening to me and just know that you have options. So many people when they're juniors in high school are so scared to ask questions. They just go with the flow and you're expected to make one of the biggest decisions of your life when you are 17 years old. Yeah. which is insane. And there's no one sits you down in a lecture and teach you about debt and teach you about what the difference is between a community, a state, and a private school. Right. They just tell you how to ace your AP test or your SAT to yeah. get into college. Right. And so I think it's just, guys, ask questions, Google stuff, talk to your parents about it. Yeah. And if your parents don't understand, then don't talk to your parents about it because you know, some parents are still on the wave of it only costs me two thousand dollars to go to school every year. I don't understand why. You know, it's a, they lived a different time, so they might not understand. Yeah, and again, like it is, this degree literally gets you your first job, and then it's irrelevant, right? Like after mm -hmm. your first job, when you go for your second job or your third job, it's, it's all predicated on what you did before. Right. And I mean, I've interviewed so many people right out of college, mm -hmm. building a team, and. There's just so many things that lack, yeah. right? Like whether it's people skills, whether it's like, you know, the ambitiousness, whatever mm -hmm. it is, there's so many things that lack. But I just think, you know, regardless of whether or not you go to college, you always have to just be observing and learning yeah. and networking and talking to people. Right. Because if you don't innovate like a company, you right. die. Right. And if you're having trouble figuring out like, oh, how do I feel motivated to learn? find something you love to do right. and then you are going to be a sponge for the information world is so cool i know it is the world right is so cool and it's yeah. all I think available where, to where kids most people will think that's wrong is because they're like okay i have to be a doctor but damn i hate learning about biology yeah which is oof. which is just you're gonna be that's miserable you for pivot. the rest yeah. of your life yeah. yeah and and so and that's a big question too and i've love for y'all to chime in is uh you know it's a very now question how do you find your passion and for me what i always say is there was not a moment in middle school or high school or college where i was not seeking out so many different things and then putting myself in those environments and working in those environments so when i was obsessed with basketball I was refereeing basketball. When I was obsessed with guitar and music, I was giving guitar lessons. I was going to studio sessions with um, my church who was recording an album. And I was really trying to figure out, I was throwing myself in these environments. And, and the moment it became stale after six months, I was like, oh, interesting. Next, it's time for the next thing, right? right. Throwing myself into computer science, throwing myself into a um, electronics job outside of my college. Um, I thought that I was going to build amps and pedals and guitar stuff. And that's why I literally picked an electrical engineering degree. And then I got a job in an electronics shop and I was starting to fix these things and solder these things. And I was like, this sucks. I don't care about this. And that's next, you know, people are on their phones, on their computers, not doing anything and wondering when they're going to find their passion. I feel like for me, I did a really good job of just trying to meet as many people as possible. I also realized super early on that if I could grow my Twitter, I get access to a lot of people. And with that access, I get experiences and access to Twitter different is places. Twitter is the plug. 100%. I mean, I vouch I'm, so hard for oh that. Oh my God, so much. Like, 
I've met everyone from YouTubers to celebrities to artist managers My to friends. I mean, David and I met on Twitter through the DMs. Um, there's like putting yourself out there and networking and just being able to say, I don't care how crazy this looks or what other people think. I just want to go try it and see if I like it or you know what? It's 11 p.m. It's kind of late. My friend invited me to the music studio. Screw it. I'm going to sleep tomorrow. I'm just going to go. Yeah. And just like putting yourself in experiences, that's, I think, what really helps you find your passion. Yeah. And just trying everything. Like, Try everything. I mean, do when I was everything. young, my mom always said, just that's don't say time. no. Just say yeah. yes. Just and people do don't realize. And guys, I get it because I was in every AP class. I was playing basketball for my high school team. I was playing guitar in my church band. I get it. You feel busy. Yeah. And that is the time that you, you're busy. However, during that time, you have a free roof over your head, hopefully. Um, you have food being put on your table. If yeah. your mom or dad are awesome human beings and are doing your laundry, you have that. There's so many responsibilities that if you're lucky enough, you won't have. And it's so surprising because that is when you do have time. Yeah. You I don't think realize it because you're studying for your AP test. But guys, you have time to... Okay. Hustle culture, sleeping, sleeping is important. But right. when you're in high school and college, you have time yeah, to maybe only sleep hours six up. hours, you, yeah. know? you know? And that's when it's like you you live life and you try things. and yeah. Exactly. So I'm just going to take a step back here. I'm not sure that find your passion, the way that's phrased is really misleading. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a huge toll on society. When people talk about finding your passion, it's as if it's like going on an Easter egg yeah. hunt right. and you're going to like walk around the house, then go through the backyard and you're going to find an Easter egg if you just spend enough time doing it. Right. And then it's like your and passion it's, and it's is not just, be any work they're at waiting all. for you and yeah. it's this beautiful thing. You have to go create and discover your passion. Yeah. Very, very, very different. And finding your passion also doesn't talk about the reality that you need to make money and you will feel much more fulfilled serving society, serving others. And what you want to do is you want to find this beautiful synthesis between how you can serve the world and how the world can serve you. Hmm. And when we talk about finding your passion, it's like this, I'm going to sit back and walk around and then this yeah. magical thing is going to descend yeah. on me and it's going to be my passion. And it's almost always about what other people are what the world is going to do right, for you. Exactly. Right. And yeah. like, if I look at this group, if I look at the two of you, what I admire about both of you is both of you has been, have been through this kind of idea maze. Okay, I'm going to go ex discover this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like closer to my passion, but it's not really my passion. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go discover this. It's like closer to my passion. And I would actually argue both of you haven't even found your passion yet. Mm -hmm. Both of you are still trying to discover what that is. You're trying to make that passion and you're trying to find the intersection between how you can serve the world in a way where other people pay you and other people give you opportunities that are really cool and exciting, but also they then give you the resources so that you can put a roof over your head and feed yourself and eventually raise the next generation of kids. And when we talk about finding your pass passion, we don't talk about these super important things. Like this requires work and it requires yeah. time and it's brutal and well, it's that's, difficult. That's the I thing mean, that it's back to the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. Like so many people just... They just expect it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. They mm -hmm. expect it. But and, it's... <laughs> and what they're expecting is so 
bold. Which is too. why right when they People get out of college, they YouTubers. get smacked in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because reality hits them. Yeah. Oh, I have a phone bill. I have insurance. Mm. I need to eat. I need mm. to pay rent. Yeah. But it's like. Yeah. And I will say, and it, you know, the world is so crazy, right? We're just arguing about everything on Twitter and blah, blah, blah. And if you have an internet connection and if you have a roof over your head, you are more privileged. Like everyone, so everyone loves to talk about privilege, right? Amongst ourselves. But I'm like, guys, if we're all arguing on Twitter and you have a phone and you yeah. have that inner connection, like we're pretty much all on this equal plane of privilege that you can't even like explain to a kid in Africa, you know? Right. So it, it's like not... And people love to be like ashamed of privilege too. And so it it's almost like lean in. Like you, again, having an internet connection, possibilities are endless. Yeah. Right? I mean, what I would just and say it's so is powerful. Like all of us live in this really beautiful moment of transition. And yeah. there is so much opportunity in the world right now and so many ways to create an impact that really matters. And what I would say is, what I'm trying to do is find the ways that I can make an impact and and in a way that benefits me, in a way that benefits the people I love, and in a way that makes the world a slightly, slightly better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundo P. One hundo P. Okay. One more round of thought before we wrap things up. This has been good, guys. Oh, snap. It's been so good. Um... Okay, this is interesting. Oh, I love... Okay, maybe two more. We'll see. Do you guys want to keep this going? <laughs> two more. Two fire. more. Um, this is something that I was recently tweeting about because I think about serendipity a lot. But David, you put how to maximize serendipity. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, but when I when I point back to things in my life... Wait, let's life, define it. I, do what? Define serendipity. Yes, define... Well, you define serendipity. It's basically luck that you didn't expect. Yes. Yeah. But I also think what's different about serendipity and luck is serendipity is you have to like create that moment, oh, right? And so, oh, me too. Because Dude, you're so good at this. <laughs> because like you're so good at this. <laughs> so much love going around, guys. Because oh. any moment I think about in my life where something happened so crazy that it shifted my life was it was all serendipity, but half of it was me getting to that place was me shaking that hand was me saying yes to something first and then everything fell into place right and so I think what people miss so much is again it goes back to all right well people talk about luck and serendipity there's a lot of that involved so I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna wait for serendipity to punch me in the face but that's not how serendipity works. Serendipity works by getting on that plane, going to that conference that you might not be able to afford, but you know a lot of good people are going to be there and paths are going to cross. And you're going to be in the same room with people that you would never be in the same room of. And, oh, you're tweeting people before and you're emailing people before. And you're like, you know, it's just like so many things lead up to serendipity. So, Nick, you you talk about it. So how, I mean, has, how has serendipity played a role in who you are today and the opportunities I think that you have entire, in your job. Yeah, my entire career, I think. Um, this is going to sound like a total brag, but I feel like like it's almost crazy when I take a step back and just think about it. It's insane, right? Like when I was, um, when I was 15, I saw that Facebook was becoming like a real thing in social media. 
And so my cousin started a TV show. By the way, how old are you? I'm 22. Okay. And yeah. you. So, so for all the people who are like, oh my God, Nick is the smartest person ever. This is crazy. And then you second guess him because he's 22. Shame on you. Because a lot of people do the age thing. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So true. Um, I mean, so when I was 16, my cousin had a TV show on the Indian network of Sony, huh. which is much bigger in India than it is here. So okay. n- none of my white friends knew about it. Um, or really any friends in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I said, hey, I will build your Facebook page. Hmm. Can I do that? She said, sure. So I took the ask. She said, yes. I built the Facebook page. It got to, let's say, 100,000 likes. Then she decided, I'm going to put on a um, an event in L.A. We were there, and there was a um, model who was closing the runway with a fashion show she was the last person it's called the showstopper and the person who was taking care of her that night said i can't deal with this i'm out so i just said is it cool if i go in and do that so then i decided to be her handler for the night which originally i was just going to be sitting downstairs it was actually at a rent we it was a rented out club so i was 16 i thought it would be cool to go to la for this event sit with all the vips all night But instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to go be her handler for the night. I'm going to hold her phone. I'm going to get her champagne when she wants. If she needs water, I'll go down and get it. And then by the end of the night, she said... I'm sure she was beautiful, too. She was gorgeous. Not a bad job for you. (laughs) Yeah. Not a bad job for a 16-year-old. But at the end of the night, she said, I want to introduce you to my manager because I think you should come with me on every road show. And I was like, but I'm only 16. She was like, okay, just talk to her and see what happens. Yeah. So I talked to her. Her name is Anjula Acharya, who she's a partner. Currently now she's a partner at Trinity Ventures. She was also this girl's manager. And so, okay, I talked to her. That was the end of it. That weekend, I knew she was hosting an event in San Francisco called TyCon. She was hosting the closing reception. And my cousin was also, she had a booth at that conference. So I said, can I come up? And she said, sure, here's your plane ticket. So I go up. The event goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Jula's hosting the Sunday night reception. On Sunday night, I figure out how to sneak backstage at the reception. This is so you. <laughs> no, I, I love stories like this because I, I want people to be able to visualize what serendipity looks like. Right. And it's this. Exactly. This is so you. So I figure out how to sneak backstage. She's currently out on stage talking. Backstage is this other comedian named Rajiv Satyal, who we just start jamming. We quickly exchange phone numbers. And we become friends. Wow. Later, I learned Rajiv toured the world with Russell Peters, which came into play way later because I got to meet Russell thanks to Rajiv that night. But anyways, Anjula comes back and I say, oh, my God, Anjula, you're here? I didn't know you were here. And so we start talking again about social media. Next thing you know, two weeks later, I'm gearing up because I'm going to India for two weeks with my sister. And I get an email from Anjula to Pitbull's manager, and it says... Hey, Charles, hope you've been well. This is Nick. You guys need to be working together. He's a social media guru. Game changer. Right away, um, Charles loops in the publicist, and boom, passwords shared. We just start working together. Wow. That was one. That was like my first one, right? Where it's like I'm 16 working with Pitbull on social media. Then the next one was I went to go work at an ad tech company in San Francisco um, that was just launching. 
And that all happened because I decided to message this guy on his personal Facebook. I said, hey, I'm a big fan. I'm about to go to college. I really want to come intern. I'll do it for free. Next day, he flies me up, stay there for a month as an intern. And then he says, why don't you go to a couple college classes, go to the senior class of like the senior year marketing classes and see what you take away there versus what you've done in the last month. Mm -hmm. In the last month that I was there, I had acquired a company for half a million dollars in Brazil, which was a Facebook marketing partner and just done a bunch of crazy stuff. So I go to the class. They're talking about how how breakthrough it is that FedEx was responding to customers on Twitter as customer service, which I didn't think was that innovative because we were running paid media ads for some of the largest Fortune 100 brands. Right. Right. Um, wow. I mean, it's just it's crazy because it's like <clears throat> I've realized luck. Luck isn't the traditional sense of luck mm -hmm. that we grow up reading about in, in yeah. kids' books. Because lucky is you find a $20 bill on the ground. Right. So that's why I feel like it's so important to define luck versus serendipity. A hundred percent. Because they... One is a Disney movie and one mm -hmm. is reality. being an entrepreneur in yeah. reality. Yeah. And I've just realized that luck is just the intersection of hard work and patience. Yeah. Right? If you are always putting the work in opportunities yeah. will arise well it's like the freaking golfer guy who said uh the harder i work the luckier i get exactly so and i mean today i'm working for gary vaynerchuk which is yeah. just insane mm -hmm. and um again it's like yeah the harder you work the luckier mm -hmm. you get well also there's something really important in what you just said which is that when people tell their stories they make it seem like oh i did this and then naturally it led to this and then it led to this boom 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 and people hear that they're like I don't have that plan. Yeah. Right. How am I it all, do this? it literally all but starts all with one, one step at a time and one decision. And everyone leads you to yeah. a door that you didn't even, it's not even a door that was closed. It's a door you didn't even know existed. Yeah. Right. And then they go and show you this door and then you sort of yeah. wander over here and people who tell their life stories, they're like, yep, it was a straight line to the top. Right. Yeah. Yo, life is zigging and zagging and yeah. going down and then you go up and yeah. then you go down and up and then you circle around and like, that's yeah. what you do. You exactly. just pounce on an opportunity and then you go identify the next thing and there's just so much more opportunity in the world yeah. than right. I mean, people realize. And it's, it's all about just reaching out yeah. and asking, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't ask, you're never gonna get it. Yeah. Well, right, so, so, so on that point, so I started a podcast so I think it's really important. Everyone should have a thing, okay? Right. So basically what mm -hmm. I call is one really fun way to just be slightly more creative is just to come up with fun name for things. So rather, so what I do is I call this like build a serendipity vehicle, right? It's mm -hmm. like has this fun little image in your head, but everyone should have like this thing. And so what I did was I started a podcast. So a thing is like a piece of content, something that you make that can compound over time. You make it once and you can sort of share it with, with different people. So I started a podcast because I was living in New York City. I was interning in when I was in college. This was after my sophomore year. And I'd come up to New York and I'd go try to meet people. No one wanted to hang out with me. I was like, ah, world, come on, give me some help. So what I did was I started interviewing people. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing written interviews at the time. And I would reach out to just awesome people I'd want to meet. And they would say, no, nah, I don't have time for coffee with you. Then I'd say, hey, can I interview you? And mm -hmm. they're like, here's a three hour block of time. Let's hang. So I'm in college being like, ooh, I can sort of interview people and then meet some awesome people and whatnot. And then I was working here. This was November, 2016. And I started a podcast. So I interviewed a couple people. My third guest was a guy named Massimo Pellucci. And I will thank this guy for the rest of my life. 
Massimo Pellucci is a philosopher at the graduate school, which is a graduate school in in, in New York City on thirty mm-hmm. fifth and fifth, and he it runs the Stoicism department. So I interview him, and mm-hmm. after the interview, I go, "Yo, Massimo, can you help me out?" And introductions for the podcast just help me out so much. So I'm mm-hmm. like, "Hey, can you introduce me to someone?" And he goes, "Yeah, I could introduce you to this person." Hadn't heard of him. This person hadn't heard of him. And then he stops, puts his hands on the table, and goes, Neil deGrasse Tyson is my best friend. Wow. The most famous scientist in the world. (laughs) And he goes, you should interview him. Long story short, as fate would have it, the stars aligned, and I interviewed him. Seventh episode on my small little North Star podcast. Mm -hmm. Dude, you're so lucky. Crazy. (laughs) And I interview him on the day his book comes out. That book sold more copies than any other nonfiction book in America in 2017, to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. That day, he was on the Today Show in the morning. This was book launch day. Today Show in the morning, New York Times before me, North Star Podcast, episode seven, Wall Street Journal, and then Colbert Report at night. And Mm -hmm. that is what serendipity looks like. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to tell my serendipity story really quick too (laughs) because I I think it's so important to connect the dots and it starts in the most random thing. Random, you know, you you just don't know. So when, this will be the last thing. (laughs) Um, When I was, I was still in college, um, but this was when I was starting to be like, there is no way that I'm going to survive this college thing. And it's really when I was like doing videos and I was working with a production company trying to get some side jobs and stuff. Um, And I was introduced to this creative world and I was using Adobe products at the time and I saw, oh, Adobe Max. Mm -hmm. Adobe has their own creative conference. That sounds like something I should go to. I'm in Texas. It's in LA. I'm a broke college kid. How am I going to get there? I researched it a little bit. And the last year they gave out $500 360 cameras. So I was like, they gift really huge gifts. I can just sell this and stay at a friend's house in LA and that will cover my ticket. So I was like, okay, I have no money, but please, there better be a good gift that they give everyone. And I I really was like, I need to be a sponge. I need to learn more about not just video, but I really want to go outside of my medium and explore things. So my first breakout session was um, a book publishing session, which is like, that sounds so random, Sarah. You're not a writer. Like, what? (laughs) What are you doing there? (laughs) Exactly. But I'm obsessed with coffee table books. Like, Mm. I love them. I, I have so many of them. And one day I was like, you know what? It would be really cool to make a coffee table book about creators. I love sharing the creative process. I want to do that one day. So I went to a book publishing class and it was only 30 or 40 people in the session. And I really connected with the presenter, Becky. And Becky wasn't just fun, relatable and knowledgeable of the book publishing business, but she started talking about this thing that she just got called the Adobe Creative Residency. Instantly, my head went away from book publishing. It was like, I'm getting the Adobe Residency next year. She had just secured it three months ago. There was still seven months to go, but instantly my brain was like, this is an out from college. This is 100% an out and I'm going to get it. So I went up to Becky. She lived in, she lived in Texas and I was like, girl, I'm from Texas, Dallas represent. She's from Austin. And again, having your thing, my thing was creative spaces TV. I was, I was going and interviewing creatives in their space, showed off their studio. 
Um, college, yeah. College. And again, I only had two, three thousand subscribers. But when you go and make a really cool video on someone, they're gonna share it. They're gonna get stoked about it. That's exciting. That's huge. That's, That's huge, huge, right? right? There. And so I go up to her. I oh my god, you're so amazing and fun. I loved all the gifs in your presentation. Guess what? I'm from Texas. I have the series. Here's my card. I would love to film you. I'll drive down to Austin. And we'll make it happen. Wow. And so that night I got a tweet from her, Becky, because she kept my card and she knew my handle. Right. She connected me to the Adobe community manager and said, who she, the community manager just, and I, I had actually just moved to Nashville, but I knew I was always going back to Texas. Mm -hmm. The community manager tweeted that night, who is in Nashville who's a videographer? Wow. Becky literally saw that tweet, got out my card and tagged me in that tweet with the Adobe community manager. Community manager goes, oh, hey, I would love to get drinks. Go get drinks with her. And then she was like, hey, there we do this thing called a creative jam. We need a videographer to make a recap video. I'm like, I got live you. off of recap videos. I have so many recap videos. And she goes, she's like, listen, we can't pay you a lot, but we'd love for you to come and just like do this for us. It was literally a $300 job, but I was like, I don't care. You're the Adobe community manager. Let's make this happen. Mm -hmm. So Nashville Creative Jam, make the best video ever. It's so good. Mm -hmm. You know, way worth more $300, but I knew the connections were worth more. Yeah. I stayed up till midnight talking to the three Adobe employees that were evangelists that were involved with the creative residency. Yeah. I didn't know at the time. Um, we had the best conversations. They got to know me. And so it's just that like serendipity working, right? So, and, and then I, I went, awesome. I went to work with, uh, I filmed Becky for the Creative Space TV. I put out the episode. It was great. I kept in touch with the community manager and I just kept, and I knew sharing the creative process. That was a big part of the creative residency. So I started a thing called Every Days on my vlog, on my blog. I blogged on Tumblr during you, that wow. day. I, blogged. I didn't even know that. So wow. I had, I had, what a scoop. I had, 200 days in a row on my tumblr of sharing my creative process going out with my camera taking pictures writing word posts wow. making videos that just didn't i would have never made and then i was that's when i became consistent on youtube and every single thing i did pointed to make me a good creative resident application and so once the applications opened up i was like all right it's my time and it was so funny because low-key community manager and also becky shot me in text and was like you should maybe apply for the residency. And I played it cool. I was like, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to do that. But they didn't know Loki in the back of my head for the past seven months. I was literally creating my entire life to get the Adobe creative residency. That is so funny because that's literally the same thing with the Forbes under oh, 30 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which congrats, by the way. Thank you. Um, 30 under 30. <laughs> Thank you. And Nick the man. Sharma. Yeah. But it's, it's so similar. Yeah. It's like I saw that when I was 20 and I was like, I want to get on that. Yeah. And then things kept going and going and going. And then I met this woman, Claire O'Connor, who was the former editor at Forbes, who's now an editor at Bumble. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you should apply and I'll totally, you know, say something good. Hmm. Yeah. And then boom. Yeah, exactly. Sarah, what is the the thread that ties your work together? Hmm. And the things that the you are really process. excited about? The creative, creative process. process. It, it was... I in, feel like community too. In community, yeah. yeah. And what... A lot of people, you know, I was so aggressively trying to get this residency, but at the same time, I was making a video that I was stoked about and I was making a video that was reaching beyond my YouTube audience. So that is what led to the same time me getting the residency, making a viral video and going from 4,000 subscribers to 100,000 in I one month. I remember that. 
Yeah. So all of that happened yeah. at one time. My entire life shifted because of the previous year and the previous four years of trying to build up my YouTube channel. And yeah, I would hands down say create a process. I'm obsessed with it. I, what about it? I, I wish I could be everything. I love that my medium is video. I'm really passionate about video and I love that I can put images to music. That's what started it because mm. I loved music. Um, but I am also obsessed with design. I'm obsessed with people who can write well. I'm obsessed with people who can go on stage and perform. I'm obsessed with musicians. And so if I can provide a lens to everyone's creative process, then I am good because I know people can get, I, I had this on my YouTube channel from the get go is my goal is to inspire, educate and entertain. And if oh, I can I do that. those three things, then like I'm good. Cause yeah. 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 When I was in college, I used to watch these videos by this hip-hop sort of r&b guy named john bellion and what he would do uh, is yeah. he would well, he's huge now he's huge yeah but back then no one knew about him yeah and so we used to just hang out at nights in college we used to watch what, what basically these making up videos yeah and what he would do is he would document his creative process and he mm -hmm. would show you all the process of making mm -hmm. a song and a couple weeks ago i went with one of my friends neil who plays guitar and he's just got this beautiful soulful voice yeah. and he calls me up at like 10 o'clock on a friday night he goes yo perel let, let's go make a song and i'm like <laughs> okay so we go to bushwick which is where a lot of the artists in new york live and we go to this studio like fifth floor all the way in the corner with this mm -hmm. japanese painter and the three of us just make a song and That's we awesome. start at 10 o'clock we end at 3 a.m and what was so cool about that experience was i got to just watch the creative mm -hmm. process because so i inspiring, spend right? my life absorbed in the pain and the agony and yeah. the the stress of creativity but just watching something emerge and mm -hmm. watching something go go from zero to a hundred from nothing to something in right. five hours right. it's a beautiful very human thing mm -hmm. and so i totally vibe yeah. with you when you well, talk luckily about we're, we're seeing it more right it's about like sharing your secrets online when in 2013 and 2014 when i started doing that it was all about what was in 50 cents refrigerator on mtv cribs right. instead of how we made a song yeah. right. and i looked at that and i saw that as a need because i was like oh i don't care about that i care about this there has to be other people out there who care about that um so people can go back on my channel in 2014 and see a very shy sarah talking about the difference between iso aperture and shutter speed on my camera because i feel like oh if i could learn it from my friend who knows everything well then the internet deserves to know it i can share that knowledge even though i learned it last week yeah. Yeah. and i think those are the best teachers are the people who are in it and they still understand what it's like to not know that knowledge yes. the because then they know how to teach it right. exactly right. well also what you said about learning on the internet is super powerful i was talking to a 19 year old kid today one of my readers from western ireland and he went on discord threads and in reddit channels mm -hmm. and through different networking meetups on the internet and then just by watching youtube videos and he built a fusion reactor in his dad's garage all on his own he's a 19 year old kid what and i'm just so inspired by that oh my gosh how cool is that opportunities are endless. crazy especially today yeah it's insane and when he was in new york he we met up and now i'm helping him out with a couple things just just uh, helping him with some fusion reactors. I'm just, and, yeah, I'm, I'm helping him out apply, <laughs> apply for something. But yeah, he's from Western Ireland, a town of a couple wow. thousand people. And he built a fusion reactor in his hmm. dad's garage. Wow. And That's is insane. one of the youngest people in history ever wow. to do this.
that is insane that's holy crazy. cow guys we got into so much good stuff that first was so that, was good. that was so fun um first of all where should people it'll be in the show notes below but some people just don't care they need to listen to it where where can they find you on the on the internet i'm at david underscore perel on twitter perel.com on my website p-e-r-e-l-l.com have a podcast called the north star podcast i have an episode i'll link yes. that as well Please do. And then every Monday I send out an email newsletter called the Monday Musings, which is basically a collection of the coolest things I learn every week. So please subscribe. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You can find my email address. I just love helping people out. Cool. David reads like seven hours a day. So his newsletter on Mondays is just <laughs> loaded. Oh my gosh. With wait. The coolest tell, stuff ever. tell us one book that someone needs to read a recent, a recent find. Yeah, this book called Creation, it's by a guy named Steve Grand, and he invented a video game that basically creates this artificial life. And this book really, it came out in 2000, it really influenced Jeff Bezos and a lot of what he's been able wow. to build with with Amazon. And the book asks, what is life? And mm -hmm. dives into that question, what does it mean for something to be alive? And it's philosophical, technological, practical. It's a book about systems and boy is it boy is it excellent awesome nick i am at mr sharma on twitter mr sharma i will forever know you as that at mr because sharma, just mr. Twitter. sharma. <laughs> or now you can text me oh. at 213-214-3165 what is this and nick? you can just text me <laughs> and i'll text you back wow it's my phone number you know 15 to 25,000 people listen to this. That's great. Do Text it. me and ask me questions. All if you need right. an intro, if you have an idea, if Amazing. you want to jam on something, yeah. it's my phone number. Well, you heard it here first, guys. And I, I think there's so much good stuff, but I feel like if you're a listener out there, you need to do one of two things or maybe a mix. One, you might need to put your head down and just work. Or two, you might need to get on that plane and go to that conference or shake that person's hand or not ask them to go to coffee, but maybe create with them. I think serendipity yeah. is so powerful. And just I have a post called How to Maximize Serendipity linked to it in the show notes. But Perfect. if you read that, I think it will help. And if you have any questions, please email Amazing. me. Heck yeah. And uh, review this podcast, That Creative Life, on Apple Podcasts. Please it review does. this podcast. Please review. Come five on. Do it. I mean, this was such a fire episode. Um, it really helps out on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you it, have those episodes. It's crazy episodes. how much reviews actually help. Yeah. Because I've seen running from somebody else's podcast how much. I mean, that podcast went from brand new to mm -hmm. top 20 yeah. because people were just reviewing. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. So it please does, leave a review. It does matter. Um, and if you're new around here, I have a YouTube channel, but you probably know that. But all the all the links are in the description below, the show notes below. Every Monday, it's new episode of the, the podcast. Fam for it's a fun. Hours. Yeah. Fun. Thanks for making this happen. You know, I'm it's going straight back to the office. Straight back to the office. Back. I love it. Well, I'm straight back to editing um, some uh, SpawnCon. But guys, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Until next time, guys. I really don't have a sign off for this, but peace. Stay peachy. Keep creating. Okay. See you next Monday. <laughs> okay. Bye.